In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about the problem of pornography with BJ Sype. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. When I was growing up, I remember seeing the top shelf of magazines at the local pharmacy with paper over the covers. That was where the pornographic magazines lived. As a 12-year-old boy, of course, I was curious, but I was too short and too scared to look at those magazines. However, one of the dangers of the internet is how pornography is no longer out of reach, too expensive, or too public. So you know, today I'm talking with B.J. Sipe, an evangelist and former student who lives in Danville, Kentucky, about pornography. BJ is a fellow podcaster, husband, and father. His podcast, Set Your Mind Above, talks about finding Christianity in the mundane parts of life, and I always enjoy eavesdropping on his little family and seeing God everywhere. When I did my episode on being a godly man, Mark Roberts suggested I get Warren Berkeley to represent the older men, and I asked BJ to represent the young guys. I had no idea both BJ and Mark have the same caffeine addiction, and I take full responsibility for introducing them to each other. But in that episode, BJ talked about how pornography was literally tearing Christians apart, and that silence was not a good strategy to deal with it. So I knew I wanted to talk to BJ about exactly this. I know very well This is a topic that is embarrassing to discuss. I'm embarrassed too. If you need to skip this week, I completely understand. But let me tell you how this is going to proceed if you decide to stick with me. We talk about some of the chemical reactions to pornography, specifically how dopamine affects the brain. We do not talk graphically about sex, but we do address what we consider a biblical perspective on sex. We mention one body part as quoted in the Bible, and we use no slang. We also don't go into any detail about the types of pornography, only the effects of it and how to get out of it. Again, if you're not comfortable with this, I understand, and I hope you'll join me next week. But one thing BJ says that I completely agree with, the sin we hide is the sin that destroys us. I am a huge advocate of digital tools, but I recognize the internet has brought all kinds of perversion into our homes. We can't undo that. But it's now our responsibility to deal with it. If you do nothing else, go to about minute 14 into the interview and listen to the statistics BJ gives on pornography usage with Christians. How you doing, BJ? I'm doing great, Kenny. Thank you so much for having me on today. One of the topics that you're championing is this idea of the dangers of pornography. You said that you have personal experience with this. How did it start for you? My first interaction with pornography goes all the way back to, I think I was 14 or, or 15 years old. And it's ironic because pornography is so easily accessible through the internet and through uh, streaming today. Yeah. But my first encounter with pornography was actually through a calendar. I was working for a company, and one day I noticed this guy had a, a pornographic calendar that was on his wall inside his office. The door, door was open. And it was the first time I had ever seen anything like that. And I was a 14-year-old boy. I knew that was wrong. And just the shame I felt immediately was tremendous. But every day I went back to work, there was that temptation. And so I ended up taking this thing down and and looking through it and not understanding the road that I was about to travel down Mm -hmm. and not understanding the damage that I was about to do to my life for years in years to come. Mm -hmm. That started a path for me of seeking out pornography. And for a good eight years of my life, I was heavily addicted to pornography. I would get home and look up pornography on my parents' computer 
and there was no safes or blocks on our computer. There was no reason for them to think that there should be. And so you would pull up an incognito window or something like that and look up different things. Mm -hmm. And this was something that I would do before my mom got home from work. It was a daily occurrence for me. Mm -hmm. It became the driving force behind my life. It affected everything. It impacted all of my relationships. I became a a very sex-driven individual. My thoughts were not pure. What we did together was not pure. And that was the driving force of most of my relationships. Mm -hmm. I just destroyed everything. You start looking at at different things and the kind of things you start watching to get the same response and the same reaction in your brain changes. And so you end up doing more or different things. And I got to the crossroads in my life where it was either I get my life together or I push away everything and everybody that means anything to me. And I really needed to get to the point where I could come to Jesus moment. I almost lost uh, everything in my life. When my wife and I first started, you know, dating, there were instances where this came up. And I remember one instance in in particular uh, where I ended up on the living room sofa with her father having a conversation with him. And I was certain that we were done, that she wasn't going to put up with this, that this was over. I am so passionate about this now because my life could look very different right now in in a very bad way. I am so passionate at helping to get people, because it's not guys, it's girls too, but I work with young men exclusively. And I think there's boundaries that need to be set with this particular subject. I don't work with young women about this. I direct them and defer them to someone else. But I work with young guys, and and I will do anything to help get them out of this place, because getting out of pornography is a lot harder than I think people believe. You have done permanent damage to your brain, and that takes time to heal, just like any other kind of damage that you do to your body. You said... This cost you just about everything. Unpack that a little bit. Why is this different Hmm. than uh, any other sin? Why is this different than lying? Hmm. Why is this different than uh, really any other sin that that we can all get caught up in pretty easily? That's a really good question. In, In a sense, it's not different. Any kind of sin that you continue to practice will destroy your life and your relationships with others. If you are constantly deceiving and and lying to others, obviously it's going to hurt your relationships. You're going to push others away, those types of things. You're going to isolate yourself. Mm -hmm. But it is different in a sense because of what's actually going on with your brain and with your body and pornography. And Paul, you know, talks a little bit about this when he talks to the Corinthians about sexual immorality is committed against the body. Right. And the body is intended to be this temple of God. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. Right. But I'll read, if I can, Ephesians chapter 4, and then I'll explain just a little bit about what pornography does. Mm -hmm. Because this has already been talked about thousands of years ago. God already outlined what would happen to us if we give ourselves up to sensuality. Mm -hmm. And so in Ephesians 4, and in verse 17, he says, So I say... And affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they've become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality to practice every kind of impurity with greediness. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack there, Mm -hmm. but let me just share a couple of things, particularly about pornography and what it does Mm -hmm. to explain what's going on and and how this this was talked about all the way back in Ephesians, what happens to our brain and what you're doing to your Mm -hmm. brain, and this is why this is different. So, God wired in a particular way, and I'm going to dumb things down very simply for us to to talk about these, we could really get super sciency with all this and spend hours and hours talking about this. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we have a reward center 
in our brain and, and, and a reward process where our brain is flooded with dopamine. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is responsible for helping us remember what we enjoyed or what satisfies our natural desires. Dopamine is not a bad thing. Dopamine is released into our brain on many different occasions throughout each and every day. When you get a good cup of coffee and you take that first swig of coffee, (laughs) there's dopamine that goes into your brain, that type of thing. I I try to illustrate it like this. I have a lawnmower that is designed to mow like about an acre or two acres. Mm -hmm. But what would happen if I took that lawnmower and tried to mow 50 acres? That lawnmower was never designed to mow 50 acres. It's going to blow up, essentially. And this is what happens with pornography. So in any kind of sexual encounter, when there's sexual stimulation, dopamine is released into the brain and that is what gives us that tunnel vision, that sharp focus, that awareness Mm -hmm. in that type of sexual encounter. And so when you have sexual stimulation, dopamine is released. In the context of marriage, that is a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. because this is the kind of thing that Proverbs 5 talks about, that be intoxicated with the wife of your youth. And the way that Solomon writes about this is he's talking about this connection that is made and that's the way God designed it. That's a beautiful thing. That's the way your brain was designed is to be engaged sexually with one person for mm-hmm. life. That's how God hardwired your brain. What he didn't hardwire your brain for is continued exposure to pornography. Mm-hmm. And so your brain is flooded with dopamine and dopamine. Mm-hmm. But what happens is your brain fatigues and it gets tired. And so less dopamine is released. So the only response to get more dopamine released is to do it more frequently or do things a little different. This whole process is called desensitization. Your brain stops working the way that it's supposed to. But it does several other things too, and this is where it really brings out what Paul said in Ephesians 4, is it then brings out not just a desensitization to sexual stimulation, But it also brings out a hypersensitization to be looking for sexual triggers. Suddenly, things that are not sexual become sexual Mm -hmm. because you're looking for them. And if you have a fire hose, you're going to have water coming out of one spout at the end. But if you poke 18 different holes in that hose, you're going to have water going in every direction. Everything is rerouted to be thought of sexually. Mm -hmm. And you talk to guys, and this is why guys have such a problem. You know, they walk into a coffee shop, and the first thing they do is they're looking for the most attractive woman. Yeah. That's what's happened to their brain. They've rewired their brain, hardwired their brain to have sex on the brain always. Things that wouldn't normally be sexualized become that way. And this is where the longer you go down this process— This is part of why it's so dangerous. How do you think people get into pedophilia Mm -hmm. and sexualizing children and child pornography? They've been on this path so long, that's the only thing that they turn to for stimulation. Even children are stimulated in their mind to be a a sexual object. This is a very dangerous thing that happens to the Mm -hmm. brain. And so it is engaged and given over to sensuality. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet at the heart, at the same time, the ironic thing is while they're given over to feeling, you don't feel anything. And this is a a process that deals with the prefrontal cortex, and it's called hypofrontality. And essentially, as you engage in these kinds of things with your brain, uh, which it's never designed to do, you wear out your prefrontal cortex, which is the judgment center of your brain. My mom liked to remind me that isn't fully developed in most boys until they're 25. And so most of the decisions I made when I was younger, she'd remind me of that. (laughs) So imagine you've got a 16-year-old boy who doesn't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex yet, a judgment center, who is now weakening that part of his brain by continued exposure to pornography. Mm -hmm. Because the prefrontal cortex is where you make decisions and where you're morally conflicted to do something and it tells you you shouldn't do this. The way that 
Paul describes it in Ephesians 4 is it's like a callus over their heart. And a callus is something that builds up over time. Right. And that's why it is so hard for guys to get to the point where they want to get out or can get mm-hmm. out because they don't care anymore. Right. They have developed calluses over their heart. They, they have sexualized everything. Their brain has been rewired and hardwired and changed and altered from how God designed it. And not only that, but now there is no guilt or shame associated with the things that they're doing. Right. That's why this is so different. We're not just dealing with a heart issue. You're dealing with a heart issue that has now led to a biological catastrophe. How big is this problem? Let me just read some statistics for you. And I'm just going to go down through a whole page of statistics. And I've got stats for days, but I thought these were very important to share. Mm -hmm. So WebRoot Cybersecurity says that there are 28,258 users that are watching pornography every single second. There are about $3,000 plus spent on pornography every second on the internet. There are 40 million Americans that regularly visit porn sites. And this is this will answer the how big is it. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. That's that's over a third. Yeah. Pornhub is the world's most popular porn website and there are a lot of organizations that are really going after them right now because of their links to not just child pornography and abuse but really with sex trafficking Mm. but they report that they have 28.5 billion annual visits to their website alone wow that's just one pornographic website Mm. they have 81 million daily average visits and they have had 25 billion searches performed. They have 50,000 searches per minute and 800 searches per second. Pornhub has uploaded 4,052,542 pornographic videos as of 2017. Okay, so there's a whole lot more since right. then. They have 3,732 pentabytes of information transferred, which is enough to fill the memory of every iPhone on Earth. Mm -hmm. But this is the more scary part. Let's talk personally. How big is this? Mm -hmm. According to the Barna Group in, in the United States, in different data that they pulled from about 10 years back in 14 and back in 2016, the following percentage of men said that they viewed pornography at least once a month. Those who were 18 to 30 year old 79% of those 31 to 49 years old, it was 67%. And then of those who are 50 to 68 years old, it was 49%. The following percentages of men said that they viewed pornography several times a week, not just once a month. Those 18 to 30 were 63%. Extraordinarily high. Mm -hmm. Those 31 to 49 was 38%. And those 50 to 68 years old was still 25%, one out of every four that were polled. In women, the following percentages of women said that they viewed pornography once a month. And this is what shocks a lot of people because they think that this is a guy problem. This is not a guy problem. Mm. In general, a lot of times it's because women feel alone or they feel unloved or they feel in those types of ways, they need connection. For men, usually it is lust driven Mm. and selfish driven. But for women... 76% of those who were 18 to 30 said that they viewed it once a month. That's only 3% less than men. Wow. Of those 31 to uh, 49 years old in women, it was 16%. Now, huge drop off once you pass that 30 mark. Mm -hmm. And then it was only 4% of women that are 50 to 68 years old. Several times a week, the women that viewed it several times a week, 18 to 30 year olds was 21%. 31 to 49-year-olds was 5%, and 0% of 50 to 68-year-olds viewed it multiple times a week. Big difference between men and women. Those who are polled that are married, 55% of married men said that they watched porn once a month. 
And I want you to just remember what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount as you think about that. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. The percentage of men is over half that are married and view porn once a month. And 25% of married women say that they view porn once a month. One in four women. Here's what will really mess with us, I think, is when you start looking at in the church, and I'm working on my own polls and my own data within the church right now, but in a general social survey, this was interesting. Those who self-identified as fundamentalists were 91% more likely to look at pornography than the general public. Why is that? One of the things that I do whenever I'm working with young guys, one of my first questions to them is I ask them, what was taught in your home about sex? Mm -hmm. How did you guys discuss sex? Generally, the answer I get is that it wasn't discussed, that it wasn't talked about. Now, sex in God's view is a beautiful and wonderful thing when it's taught from a godly perspective. But what happens is it's a taboo subject. Instead, we treat it as though it's an ungodly thing because of the way it's been abused by society. And so parents don't talk to their children about it. They're left to figure it out for themselves. Where are they going to get a godly perspective on the purpose of sex and what sex is supposed to be about? Are they going to get it from the internet or are they going to get it from God's word? Well, if we're not teaching them at home, they're going to get it from the internet. They're not going to open up God's word generally and search for that answer. Now, hopefully they will. But generally, they're going to get it from their peers. They're going to get it from school. They're going to get it from pornography. Mm And so the reason for that heightened number is because it has become a dirty word, something that we don't teach our children, and we are failing our children and setting themselves up for failure Mm -hmm. if we don't discuss these things with them. It's an awfully tricky subject. Even when you look at the Bible, it will talk about desire. It will not talk about sex. It will talk about different things, but it's not very explicit. And quite frankly, by the time you get to those adolescent years, you have explicit questions. You have questions that make everybody uncomfortable to ask, but you still have those questions and and you need those answers. And the last person you want to talk to is your parents about (laughs) how you're growing sexually. Let me try to bring out what I think you're talking yeah. about, especially when you get involved in pornography or when you just see the way that sexuality is uh, presented by our culture. Yeah. It's a lie. And when you get married, you understand how deceitful and fake sex is presented by the world yeah. and by pornography. In marriage, you know, you, all you have to do is open up the book of Song of Solomon and read through the way the Bible reads through that book yeah. to see the intimacy that's involved with sexuality. Between a husband and a wife, there is a, a level of intimacy and vulnerability and emotional connection and physical connection. This is how God designed it. And, and when your brain is not filled with that all that garbage yeah. and when it's not been damaged and your brain's working properly – the union between a husband and a wife is far superior to anything that the world can offer. Far superior. It's just a completely different experience. Sex and marriage is so much different and so much better than what you think it is as presented by the culture or even before you were ever married. Um, Yeah. I think one of the things that I've been told by other people is that pornography is for primarily men and that romance novels are for primarily women. But it basically <laughs> fulfills the relationship problem for both of them, that, that men are, are looking for access to sex and women are looking at, for access to intimacy. And they blend. Look at Fifty Shades of Grey in that whole movement. I'm not going to watch that. So. <laughs> Who, no, but I'm, say, no, I'm not I saying look it, at it. it yeah. <laughs> Don't. Who is the primary audience of that movie? Women. And of that those books? Women. It's yeah. women. Why? Because it's very pornographic. Um, 
And you, again, you get down to that sometimes there's different motivations, but the, this pornographic movement and culture hits different things for both men and women. My wife is one of these people that loves the Hallmark Channel and watches those stupid movies. And and one mm-hmm. of the things that, that I like to make fun of while she's watching them are how ridiculously unrealistic they are. The, the, <laughs> the beautiful th- part about about a Hallmark movie is they all look exactly the same. They all have extremely predictable plot lines. And they cater yes. to a demographic that are looking for something that is, number one, predictable. But number two, they want the intimacy between the characters to grow through conflict. And and that's a, a fun way to do it. They will fight about whether the career girl who has moved back to the country to oversee the pumpkin spice operation that her father had. And now she's going to have to decide whether she's going to get rid of that high paying corporate job in New York City or she's going to live in Bugtussle, Kentucky and and rekindle her old flame with her high school sweetheart. Very exciting for them. There's the drama that the women are looking for. It's not very difficult. It's not very complex, but it has a lot of of conflict there because it's an internal struggle. What's wrong with Bugtussle, Kentucky? There's nothing wrong with Bugtussle, Kentucky. (laughs) But what what I would say is uh, that's not a realistic relationship. No, no. And one of the things that that I love picking at is it is such an Mm -hmm. idealized relationship and sure. it is so not complex. And and, right. and you realize if, if somebody were to try and build the relationship based on a Hallmark movie, they're right. in trouble. You have have you ever sorry, go ahead. If you look at that from the male perspective, if pornography is primarily a male problem, and I, I understand your statistics, I would still argue that it is primarily a male problem. That has also a very devastating effect on people who have that kind of expectation going into a relationship that will fix a lot of things about you that you don't know need to be fixed. It will stop you from being a slob. It will stop you from being selfish. It will stop you from being all the things that you really need to stop being. And it will make you better because you're going to have to civilize yourself so you can work well with your wife, with your children, and with society. It's a civilizing experience. And what we're doing with pornography, in my opinion, is we are allowing people, especially young men, to remain barbarians, to have a very unrealistic sense of what's going on in real relationships that will help them grow up. Um, I'm going to piggyback off that. So if you ever have worked through the love and respect material written by Dr. Emerson Egrick. Yeah. He has a, a section dedicated to this very principle that's Hollywood or the Holy Word. Yeah. And he really brings out that Hollywood has jumped on this idea that they try to pitch the perfect relationship to everyone. Yeah. And, and the idea is the perfect relationship is there's no conflict. If it's meant to be, then it'll happen. And if things get hard, then it wasn't meant to be, and then it's wrong. And on the perfect relationship, you both have superior intimacy, and you have sex all the time, and there's no struggles, and everyone gets along with everyone's mother-in-law, and all these different Mm -hmm. things. That's not the picture of marriage. When you look at the Holy Word, we go into marriage with these unrealistic expectations, And pornography is a huge part of this. It gives people unrealistic expectations of sex or what their spouse should do in a sexual relationship or look like. That's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down is is the effect it has on women and their perspective from a victim mentality as a spouse. But now they feel like they're not good enough and unsafe and compared. And now they have a standard that they're trying to reach that is no longer godly. I have led them down a wrong path, not a godly path. And so – There is so much of this happening, but yes, these unrealistic expectations that we bring into a marriage or into any relationship will destroy that relationship, especially when we talk about sexuality. Unrealistic expectations put there, or even just things that would affect sexuality, thinking that unless everything's blue skies and birds singing, that (laughs) this relationship isn't meant to be... That affects your intimacy, and that's a big problem. Yeah. And so we've got to get a handle on realistic expectations and understanding what marriage is actually supposed to look like and what a sexual union is actually supposed to look like. How does this affect Mm -hmm. the spouse? So 
there are stages of grief. There are stages of trauma. When a spouse undergoes that kind of level of to discover that their spouse has been viewing pornography or their fiance has been viewing pornography or their boyfriend, you know, whatever yeah. it is, they go through a, a traumatic experience and, and they're going to go through different stages. The Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, which is a mouthful, so the APSATS, they have done a lot of work on this and they have identified really three phases to dealing with this trauma. Mm-hmm that women experience. The first phase is safety and stabilization. And in this phase under safety and stabilization, really what happens is a couple of of different things. First, the underlying driving motivation to feel protected because you don't feel safe. You've been betrayed by the person that you have trusted yourself with. A lot of times what happens is when someone discovers this, they will go to the safest place they can. They go to their mom or they go to their best friend or those kinds of things as they try to work through this. They will have fluctuation in their emotions and how they're feeling. They'll feel anger. They'll feel rage. They'll feel sorrow. They'll feel fear. They'll even feel like a – and this is something I, I talk to guys about all the time. Many times what happens is they will try to blame themselves. And this is part of that safety thing is rather than dealing with the emotional trauma of they did this to me because they were unloving and selfish, it's easier to deal with it if it's my fault. I didn't do these things or I didn't live up to these expectations, which are false expectations. And so you've got to establish from the beginning, this is not your fault. You did nothing to force me to do this. I did this and I was selfish and I was sinful and I was wrong and I was hateful towards you with how I treated mm-hmm. you. So you've got to establish that from the beginning because many women will feel like it's their fault and they will blame themselves or blame themselves and think, what did I do to allow this into our marriage? In this stage, we'll need help reestablishing some boundaries, whether it's we're going to stay apart for so long or we're going to sleep in different rooms or you're no longer allowed to have a smartphone or just different things, different boundaries that need established. The second phase after the safety and stability phase is the remembering and mourning phase. And I talk to guys about this all the time. But this is not a gossip scenario. You have put them in a position where they need someone to talk to. They need someone to process what they're going through with. And so in this phase, they will find themselves, because they're dealing with a loss, kind of retelling their story in a way to help them make sense of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, there's a way to do that, and there's a, a, a wrong way to do that. I know of a scenario where there was a woman whose you know, husband was dealing with pornography, and so she thought that she would become the victim, and so she land-blasted him on social yeah. media. And she took to social media and made herself some kind of a heroine and just destroyed him and his reputation and gained a following because of what she had gone through. That was a sinful way for her to respond. That was wrong. But there are going to be times where she is going to need to talk to her mom, talk to an elder's wife, talk to her best friend, and work through some of these things. And in this stage also, there are triggers. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand and be okay with the fact that there are going to be times where they're going to need reassurance. As if you're getting better and working through this process of quitting pornography, they're going to need reassurance, even if it doesn't make sense to you. you. You may be sober... For five years, and yet you're home alone for a weekend because you've been separated because you're on a, a work trip or whatever. And she's going to have triggers, and she's going to wonder because you have the opportunity, is he doing this? And you need to re- be okay with that and understand that's how she's going to feel, and you need to reassure her, not guilt her for feeling those yeah. things. As if a commercial comes on and you weren't expecting, and there's someone that's scantily clad on the commercial, she's going to now be wondering, is he thinking about yeah. that? What's going through his brain? You need to be reassuring. The last phase is the reconnecting phase, and this is moving forward and, and putting your trauma the initial trauma of discovering that porn use behind you with your spouse. You come to terms with what forgiveness means and what that looks like and how you reestablish trust in your relationship. And there's some reframing that needs to happen. Your relationship is not the fairy tale you wanted it to be, but it can be a different story. It can be a different victorious story. And so you need to reframe how you even think about your relationship. 
we're talking about it from a male perspective. That's the only way I can talk about it, obviously. Right. But there's a lot going on from a, a woman's perspective who has been the victim of her husband doing this. Mm-hmm. I would venture to say that you're going to see very similar things in a husband who's wife does mm-hmm. this but th- there's a, a lot to unpack emotionally and a lot of, of things that are going to take place i don't want to put words in the lord's mouth so please don't hear what i'm not saying mm-hmm. okay but when you consider these things and when you understand how detrimental and how devastating losing trust in the person you were most vulnerable with mm-hmm. and and trusted the most, I begin to sympathize and understand why the only exception given by Christ in Scripture for divorce and remarriage is sexual immorality, mm-hmm. is this kind of behavior. Yeah. And I just think that's interesting. I'm, again, don't hear what I'm not saying, but maybe there is some reasoning as to why that is. But BJ, you don't understand my marriage. It was never very good. My my wife was very cold. It was never a high trust environment. It was uh, so difficult to get along with her. This was my only outlet. That is a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> I have some strong words I want to say to that. Okay. Go ahead. The Corinthians, their mentality was set on the flesh. And really, a person who responds like that, your mind is set on the flesh. Your mind is not set above. Because you are justifying that I have needs. If my spouse won't give them to me, then I have a right to find them somewhere else. No, you have no right. You are called to love your wife regardless of her respect towards you or her love towards you. Mm -hmm. Just like wives are called to respect their husbands regardless of their love towards Mm -hmm. them. Your response is your responsibility. And that's another Dr. Emerson Egrick, you know, quote there. And I use it all the time. I just talked with someone this last week because it applies to things far beyond this. And we were having this discussion after services one night about the way that other Christians were treating her. And I just said, listen, your response is your responsibility. It doesn't matter what they're doing. You do it right. You treat them with kindness and love and respect. And so in this instance, you need to learn to control your body and have self-control. That's a lie to say that God designed me this way, I have to have this. No, you don't. (laughs) There are people that are celibate their whole lives. You can do this. The point is you've chosen not to and you have excused yourself and justified your sin uh, as though it is righteous. I need this and you've not done this and so you're the one that's in the wrong. No, you're in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure that they might be in the wrong on some things too and Mm -hmm. there is probably going to need to be some counseling in that marriage and some discussions about roles towards each other. Mm -hmm. If I approach sex and marriage with a selfish perspective, then I'm going to get there at some Mm -hmm. point. And that is that I view that sex and marriage is about fulfilling my desires. That's wrong. When you open up the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it talks about the sexual union between a husband and a wife, it's not about gratifying your desires. It's about gratifying your spouses. Mm -hmm. It's about doing what's in their best interest. Mm -hmm. And not approaching your wife after she's been slobbered on all day by children and cleaned up poop and puke and pee and walk in the door and say, I have needs. No, it's that you recognize her needs Mm -hmm. and that she needs support and she needs me to come in and not expect her to perform for me. She needs me to come in and, and help her and not have expectations of her in this. But shockingly... When you start putting your spouse first and their needs first, that's when you have a much greater level of intimacy. One of the things that I would say is I've known a lot of people who have gotten divorced. You do too, and everybody does. There are a lot of reasons that people will get a divorce. Many of the reasons are selfish. There has never been nor will there ever be an, an ideal relationship. And I think First Peter talks about how You need to learn how to understand your wife. And that understanding Mm -hmm. means that your wife is going to have broken bits as well, just like you have broken bits. And your job is to be the soft place to land, not put demands on her. We all have a, a, a reasonable level of expectation of things, but realizing that all of us are growing toward something. What are you growing right. toward? 
it reminds me of Hosea, where God tells Hosea, I need you to go out and marry a prostitute. Now, mm-hmm. learn how to love her. Learn how to love her and realize she's never going to treat you well. That's a, a sad place to be. But one of the things that, that you start figuring out is you can learn how to love almost anybody mm-hmm. if you will learn how to serve just about anybody. I have no idea why God wants to serve us because we're not that good, but he sure does. And he keeps on wanting to love us, even though we are lousy. I think that's the metaphor for not only marriage. I think that's the metaphor for life that the, the point of life is to Boy, this sounds terrible because it looks like I'm just talking what I'm, what, how I end, is to be good to other people and to do good to those people and then hope right. they come around. But if they don't, your job is to be good to other people and do good to those people. Yeah, love God, love people. Yeah. In the Hosea analogy, in that story, we're Gomer. In James chapter 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards yeah. God? And every single person that is alive is a porn addict. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the sense of that you view pornography, but I say that in the sense of that you are unfaithful to yeah. God. You yourself are adulterous in your heart and adulterous in your actions. Mm-hmm. When you cheat on God, so to speak, and and go to lesser things, cheaper things, disgusting things that are offered in this world, and yet God desires to bring us back. And there's a whole other side to this discussion then, because I'll tell you one thing, This I'll just throw this in there for free. It's not what the podcast is about, (laughs) and if it finds its way into the end, that's great. The church has failed in cases where there is infidelity in a marriage. Because what happens is people immediately start to rush to pick a side. Who has a right and who doesn't have a right to to be remarried or whatever? And that is wrong. God hates divorce, and his desire is for reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That's what God wants in a marriage. We see that in the story of Hosea. We see that in our story with God, and marriage is about our relationship with God. And so God has modeled what he wants us to do even when there is immorality in a marriage. He wants us to figure it out. Yeah, He wants us to make it work. And we have a responsibility not to rush to pick sides. We have a responsibility to rush to a couple and embrace them and help them to figure out how do they make this work and how do they save their marriage. And we've got to fix that in the church. I understand. I think there are good reasons why people would get divorced. And I think one of the things that I would say at the end of that is, and we also need to figure out how to support people who are in that situation. Because I think one of the things that, I don't think we intentionally do this, but I think the church setting is unintentionally set up for mom and dad and children. And if you are that single parent, we certainly want to hold you up, but we don't have a large population there and Mm -hmm. they end up getting marginalized, not because of intention, but because of low representation. And I think that's a very sad thing. Let me go back Mm -hmm. to your story. What was difficult for you? (laughs) Where do you want to start? (laughs) Any kind of legitimate personal intimate relationship was difficult for me because I felt like a liar. I was a liar. I was double-minded. Yeah. I was selfish. Um, being honest with myself was hard mm-hmm. because you tell yourself, I can quit anytime or I can do this on my own. I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to be open about this. I don't need to get help. And that is where Satan has got you in his back pocket. Because secret sin is where sin thrives. And when you fool yourself into thinking, I can do this on my own, because we're we're so terrified of shame, I would rather keep up with the appearance of godliness than actually be godly Mm -hmm. at all costs. I don't want people to know what's going on in my life. How are they going to respond? What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What about, what what is God going to think? What does God say? 
And I'm not thinking like that. I'm trying to please people rather than please God. So I keep up this appearance of godliness and live this double life. And in reality, you show up on Sunday and Wednesday and show up at all these other things and you're involved and active and people think you're this godly guy. But in actuality, you've been looking at pornography for six hours that week. Mm-hmm. And you've been undressing different women in your mind across the, the room in worship and all this nonsense that's going on in your brain. And so what was hard for me is coming to the realization I cannot do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I cannot get out of this without the biblical model, which is confession and shame and guilt. But then the healing that is associated with that, we completely skip over and don't understand. And, and there is so much healing involved with confession. And, and finally, you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you actually like who you mm-hmm. are. You actually realize that who you tell other people you are and who you actually are are the same thing. They're not different anymore. Mm-hmm. There is so much freedom there. When I get guys that reach out to me, I get messages all the time, Kenny, because I'm so open about this. And I'm going to reiterate on this podcast, if you have a problem with this, I don't care how long you've had this problem. I don't care how old you are. Reach out to me. And I will do everything I can to help you and to get you out of this place Mm -hmm. because I get it. But I will tell guys when they reach out to me how proud I am of them for taking this first step because that's one of the hardest things to do is to open up about this and say, I have a problem. How did your family react? I have wonderful parents. I have parents that allowed me to sit in my own mess that I made and really feel the consequences of my actions that set right boundaries that I still found a way to try to rebel against and push against. But I also have parents that loved me through my struggles. I was caught many times by my parents. I was caught by other members of our church. There was one time, just again exposing how awful my addiction was. I ended up, I was house-sitting for Christians one time, and I used their computer all week to do things I shouldn't have done when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And they found out, and you want to talk about embarrassment to my parents. They were very strict and serious with me about coming to terms and understanding what I was doing and how awful it was. But they were also very ready to embrace me back and help me to get help. And so there were people that they connected me with, and that really started the process of early on of recovery for me because I would not have been able to get out of my addictions had it not been for different people that my parents had connected me with and if it weren't for my dad to really deal with this and get help. You've helped a lot of other people. How do you do that? The first thing I tell someone when they come to me is, I need 100% honesty. I cannot help you if you don't want to help yourself. Mm -hmm. And so if if you want to get out of this, you have got to be 100% completely honest about where you're Mm -hmm. at. If you looked at pornography 15 minutes ago, you need to tell me that you looked at pornography 15 minutes ago. You don't tell me I've been doing pretty good or whatever. You have to be 100% honest with yourself and with someone else. Let me share three, three different A's that Covenant Eyes, and I advocate that program as well. I have that on every single one of my devices, and all of my reports go directly to my wife. She can see everything that I ever look at on the internet. And There should be no secrets in marriage. I have no reason for her to not to see what I've been looking Mm -hmm. at. And so there's no problems there. But the three A's they talk about is affordability, accountability, and accessibility. It used to be you had to go down to the the red light district to look at someone in the face and purchase a pornographic magazine. And you had to be old enough to do so and try to get someone to go get it for you. We don't live in that day Mm -hmm. anymore. Porn is free. Mm -hmm. It is affordable. It is accessible. You can be looking at pornography in less than two seconds. Mm -hmm. If you have a subscription to all these different streaming services, you have to be very careful what you decide you're going to watch because pornography is just filled in television today. 
and Christians have absolutely no business watching that kind of content, mm-hmm. and there is no way to justify that ever. And so I'll just make that perfectly clear. But the one thing that you do have control over, I don't have control over those things. I can never destroy the porn industry with how big right. it is. I can never make it unaffordable and unaccessible. I can, to an extent, make it unaccessible through different blocks and safety nets that I put on my devices, but that doesn't fix your heart. Accountability is going to be one of the first things we talk about. There is a healing process that is described in Scripture behind confession of sin and and behind getting someone else in your corner to help you. And In James 5, when it talks about, is there anyone that is sick, I am 100% convinced in that context he is not talking about physical illness, he's talking about spiritual Hmm. Because the one who goes to their shepherds and confesses will be healed. They will find forgiveness every single time, 100%. And that's why he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. That's the conclusion to that admonition there. There is so much healing in accountability and in having someone that you are 100% real with that's going to help you to grow and get out of this circumstance that you're in. And this process is something that I refer to as something that Paul refers to it as, and that's called renewing your mind. If you want to quit porn, you have to renew your mind because you have to remember you have done legitimate, very real damage to your brain. You have rewired the way that God has designed you to think and feel, and we're dealing with very real chemicals and emotions and and different things happening in your body. And you have got to renew your mind. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that go into that. You've got to stop the accessibility. And then in addition to that, you've got to understand what you're doing and why you were doing it. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to start rethinking everything that you have believed wrong because we've believed all these lies and haven't realized that we've done Mm -hmm. it. I need to rethink and re-understand what my role is as a man and what it means to be a man, Mm -hmm. what the relationship between a a husband and a wife is supposed to be, what expectations are, all these things that we're talking about. This is the process of renewing the mind. Mm -hmm. How many people have you helped? I'm currently working with three guys, and I've worked with a whole lot before then. Mm -hmm. I don't know an exact number, and results vary depending on how serious someone's going to take Mm -hmm. this. Sometimes I get guys that come in, and I've got one guy in particular I'm thinking about, and of course everything is is completely confidential. Mm -hmm. No one listening to this that's ever been in a discussion with me about this ever has to worry about their name getting dropped on here. But I'm thinking of one guy in particular that he's just, he gets it, and he has taken it so seriously. And the change that I've seen in his life and his relationship with people that he's close to is tremendous. But then I've got other guys where, you know, I've worked with them and tried to reach out, and we've tried to get together, and and they put off talking, and there's always different excuses, and there's deceit and no, are they're looking at things. They're hesitant to want to put blocks on their phone. There is a desire to not want to quit. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. They are still caught up in the sin. Mm-hmm. They're not there yet. They don't want to repent. Right. And I can't help someone that doesn't want to help themselves. Yeah. And, and God certainly can't help you. You have to submit to him. You have to finally give him control over your mind and over your body again. Mm-hmm. Is there hope for this? It doesn't matter how far you've gone. There is always hope. Renewing the mind that has happened to people from the beginning who have come to Christ. And and Christ's grace and his love is greater. It's it's greater than our sin. And so you look at just the list of the kind of things the, the Corinthians had going on in their life, the way that the renewing of their mind that needed to take place. You had adulterers. You had homosexuals, you had people who worshipped idols, and you look at how they did that in Corinth. There were prostitutes that would come down into the streets and fornicate in the middle of Main Street with different people in Corinth. And you would go to the temple and and engage in sexual immorality with temple prostitutes. That had a huge effect on their mind and how they viewed themselves and their relationship to women and their relationship to God and all sorts of things. 
And yet, Paul says, such were some Mm -hmm. of you. There is always hope, no matter how deep, how far you've gotten, no matter how big your rabbit hole is, no matter how many people you've deceived, but it has to start with that you have to be completely willing and ready to be honest with yourself and honest with others. It doesn't matter the repercussions. It doesn't matter what others think or say. You've got to completely expose everything that you've done and be willing to finally be real. Mm -hmm. BJ, I think one of the things that I would say is you're living proof. People can come out of this. How has your life changed? I almost lost everything because of the decisions that I was making, because of the, the path that I was on. My life has changed in so many different ways since my recovery. The intimacy that I now have in my marriage and the trust that we now have with each mm-hmm. other. The fact that I'm now a father, which completely <laughs> changes yeah. your perspective on these things. I'm a father of a beautiful little right. girl. And that completely changes your perspective on a lot of these things. I'm living proof that you can change. And this is no glory to me. This is all glory to God. And 100% recognition of the people that helped me the most. I think of my wife. I think of many of the mentors that I had that my parents connected me with. I think of people that have become so close to me. And I would not be where I'm at without them and without the Lord's patience and grace towards me in my Mm -hmm. life. But you can do this. If I could help anybody, I'll do anything I can to help you. I'll, I'll work it into my schedule every week to, to talk with you, to sit with you, to pray with you, to open up the Bible together, to get you on a different path. Mm-hmm. And you can do it. And I don't know who I'm talking to here. I don't know who's going to listen to this. But please take this seriously and please believe me. You don't understand what you're missing. What did I miss? Obviously, there is a lot to talk about with this mm-hmm. subject. And there are things that we can talk about forever and ever. And I think one of the things that <clears throat> I want to bring out just, and I'm going to do a little mini session with whoever's listening and might be struggling with this. Okay. And I think one of the things that we need to realize is how hypocritical we are and how we justify our porn use and different things that we view or different shows that we watch. I want to read a a section out of Proverbs 5, starting in verse 15. And he says, drink water from your own cistern and waters flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets and streams in the public squares? No, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and Take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe, and let her breast satisfy you and be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he considers all his paths. This section, then we'll look at another section here in Proverbs 5. Think about how hypocritical that is. He says, drink water from your own sister. And of course, this is an analogy to talk about the sexual relationship, intimacy that happens in a marriage. Because in marriage, you made a covenant like she belongs to you and you belong to her. And so we're so protective over our water, so to speak, our source of water. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't want them flowing in the streets. They're not for anybody else. That's my wife. And yet it's okay for me to turn around and yet I'm allowed to look at someone else's. Mm -hmm. Every time you look at a woman, that's someone's wife. That's someone's daughter. Mm -hmm. That's someone's mom. These are not just nameless faces. These are real people. Mm -hmm. And how hypocritical for us to act as though we're protective over what is ours in a covenant relationship, and yet I'm willing to break that covenant. I'm going to feel rage if they ever did something to me, but I'm going to justify doing it myself over and over Mm -hmm. again. And that's really what you're doing with pornographic use. It's such hypocrisy. And the reason people end up there is because of what he says before. And so in verse 7, he says, Now, sons, listen to me, and don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources, and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's Mm -hmm. house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. 
and you will say how I hated discipline and my heart hated correction. I didn't obey the voice of my teachers or listen closely to my instructors, and I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Don't flirt with this, guys. He says, keep your way far from her. And yet we don't do that. We want to say, I can go here or I can be on the internet without any kind of accountability or I can be alone or I can go to this beach or I can, we do all these things. I can watch this show and we justify and we get as close to it as we can. And when you do that, you're going to fall and you're going to mess up. And when you do, it's going to cost you more than you ever thought. You think about that and I really hit on this one and this is my motivation for you to just start thinking about why you need to do this. And I I kept saying, I almost lost everything. He says, when you give your years to the cruel or to the merciless, whoever you're looking at on pornography, they don't care about you. They don't know you. They don't feel any love to you. Nothing. But everything that you've spent years building, you will destroy to someone that cares nothing for Mm -hmm. you. It takes years to build a marriage, years to build trust, and you can destroy all of that in a Mm -hmm. second. It takes years to build your reputation, and you can destroy all of that in an instant. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how devastating the consequences of your actions will be until you're in it. And that's what this guy's saying. That's what Solomon's saying right here is you will be at the verge of utter ruin before everybody, and you'll go, why didn't I listen? You have got to see the hypocrisy of the position that you're in. You've got to own it, and you've got to stop flirting with this and trying to get as close to this immorality as possible. Flee fornication is what Paul said. God keeps on sacrificing, not for people who don't need a doctor, but people who do. He keeps on saying, I'm looking for broken people, not for yeah. whole people. And mm-hmm. just looking at the stats that you started this out with, you are far from the only one. The isolation of this is we are all individuals with very similar problems, and we just don't talk about those problems to figure out right. there are a ton of people that can help you with these problems. If you'll just open up about it, there are people who love you, who will help you through these things. Is there shame associated with this? Undoubtedly. Is there help for this? Undoubtedly. God only wants broken people, and we're all broken. And like you said, the the stats, the odds that... There are a good number of people that are struggling with this who listen to this episode mm-hmm. are pretty significant. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how you're broken. Jesus can help to put you back together again. Yeah. It doesn't matter how far deep you are into this. If you want to change, you can. But it starts with being honest with yourself, and it starts with realizing the significance of the position that you're right. in. And I know that we try to end our podcast on a hopeful, happy note and maybe we'll find a way to edit it to to do that. But this is one of those, this is just one of those things that to to get the help and to get the hope you want and to get to where you need to go, you've got to understand just how broken you are. I end all of my podcasts with be good and do good. How can you do good to others with this problem? If you have struggled with this, and have come out of it or are doing this process, be there for others. Mm -hmm. Make yourself available to others and expose your sin in such a way that will allow others to know that they're not alone Mm -hmm. and that you can help bring them through it. That's one of the best things that you can do through this. And we all do this with everything else. If someone is, you know, women that have, you know, gone through different struggles with anxiety. They help other women to deal with that. Men who have struggled with drinking and have come out of it, they are able to help other men to get out of that place and out of that addiction. We need to do that with this too. Yeah, Own where you came from and help others to come out of it. And so that's one of the greatest things I can say is to do good with this. And then I'll say, secondly, everybody's broken and everyone's brokenness looks a little bit different than yours. 
And so if you've never struggled with this and you don't relate to this, don't judge your brother who exemplifies humility and comes forward and asks for help. Maybe you're struggling with things he's never struggled with, but he's not judged you in that way. And so you need to be willing and ready and able to, even if you don't understand, be understanding and help someone through this process. Yeah. And let me say one more thing to do good. If you are a spouse of someone who is struggling with this or who has struggled with this, the best good you can do is remember that your heaven partners, you're trying to help your spouse get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the best thing you can do is to help them get there, to keep them accountable, to get them the support and help that they need and to pray with them and to forgive them if they're willing and help get them to heaven. Don't give up on them. If somebody wanted to try and get a hold of you, how could they do that? You can reach me on my cell phone at area code 503-602-8310. Just give me a text and let me know who you are and what's going on. You can also reach me on Facebook. Uh, My name on Facebook is Brian James Sipe, my full name. And you can shoot me a message on there. I host the Set Your Mind Above podcast, and we run our page there on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And you can contact me through the Set Your Mind Above podcast as well if you want to talk to me there. If you are a young woman who is struggling with this, I can help connect you with someone that can talk with you and work with you. But I won't engage in a private conversation about these things with you but I can help connect you. If you're a young man, if you're an older man, if you're a married man, you can reach out to me. Everything that we do has 100% anonymity and confidentiality, and I just want to help you get the help that you need. I really appreciate you talking about this. I know this is a topic that most people don't want to talk about, but I'm grateful that you're somebody who's willing to be so transparent about it. Thank you, Kenny. All glory to God. And We just, we got to tackle this beast. Mm -hmm. We got to get through this together. God bless you in that, man. I know that was uncomfortable, but I am so grateful to BJ and for people like him who are willing to share their stories and both show the problem of pornography and how to get out of it. Thank you, BJ. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm grateful for new beginnings. I'm starting my semester and making plans for classes. This is always an exciting time of year, and I kind of get excited about the topics that I talk about. I also have an exciting episode coming very soon. I won't say too much about it, but I will say it involves a troublemaker I've talked about on the podcast before. I know you'll enjoy it. So until next time, let's be good and do good.